it, it begins and ends with a man. That's something uh, a guy that I follow. Uh, men have to be leaders. We got to do the right thing. We have to act accordingly. Right. And if we're leading the proper way, I think women will follow. But women haven't followed, I think, because men are not leading properly. And if they would step up and lead properly, uh, that's at the top, presidential down. Yeah. You know, we got to lead the right way. And I think, I think some women have just got fed up. Yep. With the men they've had to deal with. That's and, it. And they're just, you know, they're walking away. What is going on, guys? Dr. Jared Nelson here, and welcome to the podcast, The Better Men, where you can never be perfect, but you can always be better. Today, we have a very special guest with us today, Johnny Foster. What's going on, man? Doing all right. You guys doing all right? Yeah, all is well, man. We go way back, got a lot of history, got a lot to talk about, and uh, very excited about this episode, man. So here's how I started out. You're in the gym. You're just chilling. A guy walks up to you and says, I know you from somewhere. You look so familiar. Go ahead and start it off. Well, I have been told I have a doppelganger that's walking around, and he lives somewhere (laughs) close to Coleman. Okay. (laughs) I've been told more than once, you know, that. But, you know, I also have been a dentist and guest for 31 years, so it could be something to do with that, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Came here after I got out of dental school in 1992. Mm Mm-hmm. So you got some Alabama gear on University of Alabama. Yes, sir. Dental. So we'll get into all that and everything. Um, that's great, man. I'm going to start off right at the top. Um, you're married. Uh, had a wife of how many years? How long have you been married? 35 years. 35 years. 35 what, what, years. A, what an awesome thing, man. I think in today's time, kind of a rare thing, but that's awesome. Well, I, you know, the way I, way I tell people is it's like I just don't know any better. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know how not to stay married it's just like i never really considered getting divorced or not being married anymore to the woman i chose mm-hmm. there's no alternative yeah. i feel like that's an interesting thing i'm gonna go ahead and branch off on that now people have an illusion or almost they have so many options right and they think in their mind they have all these people they can contact and be with and all that right Starting being married 35 years, 35 years ago, obviously that wasn't the case. The internet wasn't here, right. uh, social media, all that. Um, so you've probably seen a big change in that. Yeah. You know, uh, daily life's different. The things we do daily, uh, we depend on technology so much more than each other. Mm-hmm. And it's it's too easy to walk away now. It's yeah. too easy. Well, there's not a lot of repercussions. Right. Uh, and almost, you know, I don't want to be misogynistic in any way but the women almost benefit from leaving sometimes in some sometimes. situations you sometimes. know so yeah sometimes it's like i've had i've had friends that got married and uh it's like the woman probably had planned to leave the husband uh from the time they got married i know yeah. one of my friends anyway and uh the uh woman really Took him to the cleaners, yeah. you know, and uh, it's hard to believe. Well, it's a very common thing, and you see a lot of men now are scared to death to get married and everything, yeah. and you can see why all those horror stories and everything else. Exactly. Um, but you got a great wife. I know her. Yeah. Uh, very, very good woman. How has marriage been? 35 years, obviously been tons of trials, oh, tons yeah. of ups and downs. Got to right. be uh, just in relationships with the person. So how has marriage been as a whole? How would you describe it? It's good. I mean, it's like. 
I have things that I I'm better at. She has things she's better at. We uh, coexist together well, mm-hmm. and uh, it's uh, you know I I still love my wife just you know as much as I did the day I married her. Uh, it's not not like something has changed for me, mm-hmm. and uh, you know hopefully she does me too. Mm-hmm. Hopefully she still loves me, but I, I get that feeling so. Yeah, I believe she does. I think all's good, man. I think you're uh, you're safe there for sure. So uh, you are a father, um, have multiple children. Now, how is it like being a father, having young children versus older children? What has that experience been like for you? Younger children is a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. You know, they're doing stuff like sports and different things like that, and you're real busy. You don't have to th- have time to think about a lot of stuff so yeah. you're, because you're busy doing so much. And there is just a lot of fun. Now the kids get older, and then it's like uh, uh, they're leading their own lives. And we, you know, we still have Riley that still lives at home with us, but he's got his own little world he's in too. So it's mm-hmm. a lot of times it's like, is he even here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. Um, so Riley uh, been doing a lot of stuff. Um, you know, him being a high school soccer and all that, I know it was pretty busy with sports and all that. Yeah. How do you find the time to, I would say, connect? I think a lot of, there's so many distractions in life, you know, with children, with adults, yeah. so much stuff to do. How do you find that time to connect with your kids? Uh, I think one of the big things is finding some kind of common uh, activity. Mm-hmm. Like for me and uh, Tyler and Riley, it's fishing and hunting and stuff, golf, mm-hmm. stuff like that. With uh, me and Jordan, it was mainly cooking, mm-hmm. doing different kinds of meals and just cooking in general. Mm-hmm. I got you. Cool, man. Finding common ground, very, very important. So you have a stepchild, which I just told you about before we got on camera. I never yeah. even knew. I grew up, uh, with, you know me since I was four or five years old almost, probably kindergarten at Southside. Is that right? Probably, probably so, at least. Yeah, probably younger than that. Yeah, so a long time, and I never even knew. So there's a lot of people now, uh, there's children, people get divorced like we talked about before. Right. They get remarried. There's a stepchildren situation. Um, what was that situation like for you? Well, you know, I was in love with Delana, and uh, she had Tyler. And, you know, it's like, he's just part of the deal. It's like, and and I, when I accepted that, then it's just like, He's just like mine. Mm-hmm. So I, I pretty much treated him like I would treat Riley. Just try to teach him discipline. Uh, try to make sure he has all the advantages he can get as far as education and growing up. Uh, and it was, you know, it was tough because uh, we got married in June. And. I started dental school in August. Oh, wow. So got married, newlywed, stepfather, and then started dental school, which is extremely hard. Oh, yeah. Especially the first year, trying to do everything they want you to do. Mm -hmm. Very time-consuming. It's like I probably slept. Between two and four hours a night that first year through school, while that first year of dental school. Yeah. Didn't get a lot of sleep, but when you're young, you can do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely different. I think about working out when I was 20 versus 30. Recovery time is 
Totally different. Totally oh, yeah. You can do a lot more things. Huge. So it seems like you went through a lot there. Were you going to say something? Go ahead. It's like, talking about working out, it's like now I don't even try to work out two days in a row. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I definitely going to take a day in between workouts just to recover. And it, it, uh, sometimes it's not enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, go piggybacking on fitness right there. We'll go ahead and start talking about that a little bit. Um, you lost a pretty good amount of weight, I think, there for a while. Started working out, getting in the gym and everything. I don't yeah. know when that was, time period specifically. What was that like for you getting in the gym? What motivated you to make a change? What well, got you there? Well, I, I'd been working out and doing stuff for years and years and years, but uh, really, you know, started uh, having some issues like with my left knee, giving me some trouble, different things like that. And it's like, my family has a history of diabetes, so I'm going to lose some weight. Mm. So I started working out, and uh, I lost about 40 pounds, and I felt a lot better. And then I just kind of stagnated at that weight for several years. And then uh, over the last couple of years, I've lost about 40 more. So mm. I've got, I'm still working. I've got a about uh, 40 or 50 more I'm going to try to lose, but I'm not taking it off quick. I'm doing it slow, just gradually and uh, trying to keep from, uh, yeah, none of this starvation stuff, just yeah. basically eating good food and just uh, the right amount. Well, I think consistency is key, and that slow loss over time, that's really oh, what yeah. keeps it off. You know, that's the way to do yeah. it. It's like uh, I, I lost that first 40 pounds, and I felt good, and I, I just kind of – ate what I want for a long time there. And then it's like, ah, it's, it's not enough. I got to go, I got to get some more off. Cause uh, it's like my mom and dad are both diabetic. My, yeah. My grandparents on my dad's side were both. And, uh, it's just a bad history of it. My sister's diabetic. And, uh, even Jordan was diabetic. Mm-hmm. She developed diabetes, uh, you know, when she was in her twenties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I know diabetes. What was the really? What was the motivation there? You said you worked. You kind of worked out for a long time. Yeah. Uh, did kind of in and out type stuff. Yeah. Was there ever an aha moment where you were like, "I got to get in the gym. I got to start being more serious about this"? What was the motivator there? Uh, I guess just you know, uh, cholesterol too high, mm-hmm. blood pressure, my blood pressure. Uh, the doctor told me I need to start taking some blood pressure medication. I guess that was one thing. Uh, my blood sugar hadn't ever really been a problem yet. Don't want it to be. But uh, I guess the, the fact that I started to have to take something for high blood pressure. Yeah. Plus being in pretty stressful situations at times. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, it can really be a wake-up call. I think when you start t- having to take medication, I'm not there yet, but I've always been proactive with health and all that. But right. I think for people, you hit 30, 40, whatever, and mm-hmm. then you have to start taking a pill every day to treat a long-term condition. That's right. kind of like a wake-up call. Like, I need to fix something. Right. Because you, know? uh, you you think about all the problems that can come from high blood pressure, different things with your eyesight and uh, kidney problems, stuff like that, and it can snowball on you. I know a 23-year-old. I worked emergency medicine majority of my career. I've talked about that on here a lot. 23 years old on dialysis because of uncontrolled blood pressure uh just it was so significant and i it's you know people call it the silent killer you know a lot of people don't understand that these complications that aren't so apparent 
are doing damage long term. That's why it's important to get screenings and all that because you just never know what's going on. Yeah, we had uh, patients uh, come into the office sometimes. So uh, recently, two two men came in the office. Both of them were supposed to be taking high uh, blood pressure medication because yep. they have high blood pressure. Both of them did not take it regularly, and their blood pressure was terribly high, out of control. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like we can't treat you when you're in that situation. It's just too dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a lady come in one time, and it's like she wanted a tooth extracted, and her blood pressure was over 200, over 100. And I, so I'm like, I can't, I can't do that. I can't, it's just not safe. And she was mad at me because I wouldn't take the tooth out, you know, that kind of thing. It's just. Well, I definitely want to dive into the dentist thing. I'm a doctor of nursing practice, nurse practitioner. You have your doctor in dentistry. So um, our experience with patients, you know, it's a, uh, it's a thing for sure. And like you, uh, to piggyback on that point a little bit, sometimes you do the best thing for the patient, but they don't see that. Right. You could have pulled that tooth. There could have been a long term, a short term acute event from that. Oh, yeah. Who knows what? Uh, but they can't understand it. They want the pain gone or whatever. Right. But we understand medically. That's why we have the training and all that. And that's what we're, we're no responsible for. Yeah, I mean, it's like that blood pressure's got to come down or the tooth's not going to matter. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that'll sure. take care of itself if you don't do something about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Many, many situations where I've had to tell a patient no. You know, um, you know, whatever else it's a viral infection. They want antibiotics. I'm like, and antibiotics isn't going to treat the viral infection, but it's, it's a common conception to do that. And so they get mad at you, but I understand it. We went to school for this, you know, and I think there's a level of trust we have to develop with the patient. So they understand that. Just the fact that, you know, that antibiotic doesn't do anything to kill that virus. It's just, you know, if you're taking an antibiotic, it's just the, you know, to treat some kind of side effect or something. Right. And there viruses can cause bacterial infections, can right. make you more susceptible as possible. But for an acute viral event, antibiotics don't really do yeah. anything. Right. Um, so let's dive into the dentist thing, man. Went to school in Alabama, Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Uh, you had season tickets for a long time. You still got them? No, we stopped getting them about probably eight years ago, eight or nine years ago. Okay. It's just like, it got to be where it was set. It got to be almost like a hassle because it was uh, uh, so t- time consuming mm-hmm. and we were getting older. Yeah. And it's like I, I, a lot of the games you start, you leave the leave the house early in the morning and you don't get home till early the next morning. Yeah. Driving at home two o'clock in the morning and you're the only one awake. Yeah. That kind of deal. Yeah. But, uh, and now it's, you sit and watch it on that big screen TV. It's so much better and easier to do that. Air conditioning. You got a restroom right beside you. Oh, yeah. Follow the food you that's want. That's it. That's it. Yeah, it's that's the way to go. convenient. There's nothing like the college football experience, though, I will oh, say. Yeah. But, right. you know, I'm not going August, September. I'm just not. I'm not sitting out there to sweat and it's all that. It's horrible. Man, yeah. Alabama heat is no joke. Um, and from 2010 to 2012, I went with Dad to every single home game yeah and that kind of did me in i was like i've experienced it i go to one every other every third year something like that yeah uh but i usually watch them at home but you went to college at alabama right. we kind of got off topic there yeah um what year was that and what was your uh you know experience being at alabama being in mm-hmm. dental school all that well I, I, in tuscaloosa started in the fall of 85 and uh went down there and originally as a chemistry major 
and uh, had to take a lot of math for that. And then, of course, took taking biology because my ultimate goal was to go to dental school. Okay. So I'm doing all that and taking core classes too. Uh, then uh, ended up more. I talked to an advisor at the dental school and they advised me to actually change my major to biology from chemistry because it's, they told me that I would need it and use it more in dental school. Mm-hmm. So I ended up doing that. I have uh, ended up with a major in biology with a minor in chemistry and physics and math. Wow. So it's, but and the, the physics and the math was something that I always dealt with and was good at. And it, uh, and physics, a lot of the stuff in physics was, you know, it's more fun stuff. Like you're, you're playing with lasers and doing all this stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But in the chemistry, it, it was pretty cool too. Uh, being a chemistry major, you got to do a lot of experiments. Nobody else would get to do. Right. Yeah. And, uh, well, we had Ethan Heady on the podcast. I'm not sure if you know who that is. Mm-hmm. His dad's a fireman in Gaston and everything, but, um, he, he has his doctorate in chemistry. So he said he's played with all kinds of chemicals. Yeah. He said there was one chemical he used. It's a adaptogen, and it can make him only have female children or something, some kind of chemical. But anyway, so going to the chemistry thing, yeah. what made you choose chemistry starting out in college? Well, I, I think I ended, I chose it just because uh, I like doing the experiments and stuff, doing all that, and the chemical reactions. Is it was something that just appealed to me. Uh, even from even back to uh, even as a kid, you know, like let's mix this up and see what happens, you know, <laughs> that kind of deal yeah. when you're a kid. But like when uh, I was uh, in organic chemistry, and uh, there was only like twelve of us in the class. There was only twelve uh, chemistry major in organic, and our teacher was the dean of the chemistry department. Oh wow! So it was pretty. It was pretty tough, but we had this guy that was our lab teacher, different guy, and we'd do stuff in the lab, and he made it fun. We'd go in there, like one experiment we did one time, and he's like, all right, now I want you to do this. Just add this and then do this. And we're all like, okay. So we've got this uh, flask full of this liquid, and it's over a heater. Yes, and it just slowly evaporates all the solvent off, and then it's like all these nice, beautiful white crystals in there. And now he's, and then he starts like, uh, okay, now, so none of you can give me trouble anymore this semester because you're all felons. You've all just made cocaine on the campus at the University of Alabama. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was just, he was just a nut. But, uh, uh, knew what he was doing, and I'm like, yeah, this guy's got his own lab at home. Yeah, how do you know how to make that? Right? Oh, yeah. You know, you learned that in chemistry, but you might have some personal experience right. there. And he actually uh, took all the flask, when, you know, he's like, made sure that everybody saw that all that stuff was denatured and uh, dumped into a big vat full of chemicals, so it, none of it left the room. Right. Yeah, but he's like, you're all felons now. That's hilarious. It was funny. I bet it was. Sounds like an awesome time. So, Biology was more were more beneficial to you, yeah. you said. So the yep. chemistry to biology transition, what did you see there? Any major changes, changing classes? What was that experience like? Well, it's just more uh, looking at uh, different systems in the in the body, all as far as mammals and life in general of different 
different uh, different life forms uh, in biology, where in chemistry you're just looking at chemical processes, you know, just reactions and the byproducts of the reactions and stuff mm-hmm. like that in chemistry. What did you enjoy more? I, I think I enjoyed it. Both of them about the same. I, I you know, still the chemistry was probably more fun. Mm-hmm. The doing the chemical reactions and doing the experiments and stuff, and it, it uh, uh, a lot of math involved in chemistry too. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was just something that I guess I come that came natural to me because I always did good in math in school, even at an early age, all the way up through college. Well, I think that's very beneficial. Big point taking from that. Doing something that you enjoy. Yeah. Uh, there's people out here working, hate their life, wake up every day and hate their life. That's right. It's not an uncommon thing. And right. I think it's so important to test out different things. You did chemistry, biology. You did a lot of different things. Right. And See what you like. And while I was going to school, I did all kinds of crap, like uh, painting houses and doing construction work. Yeah. Uh, uh, worked at Goodyear one summer. I worked at... Uh, the flowers bakery here in guest and i worked uh i think three summers there worked in a chicken plant one summer you know just different things ended up driving a delivery truck for birmingham budweiser one summer wow yeah you know you find out stuff you don't want to do the rest of your life pretty quick yeah absolutely but with that experience gains knowledge and gains direction and i think that's so important as to why um, you can go to school for eight years and then hate what you're doing. That's right. I see a lot of physicians hate what they do, yeah. hate it. And they've gone to school, done residency, all that, and they don't like what they do. Yeah. What a terrible thing. I yeah. mean, you make a lot of money, but if you don't have fulfillment out of what you do, uh, nurse practitioners too, uh, anesthesia, all kinds of people that don't like their job. Right. I think it's so important. And it's just, you know, it's like being miserable every day is no way to live. No. No. That's not, I totally agree. Uh, Thought of a question real quick. So a little quick scenario. There's a dental student. They're about to, they want to go to the dental school and all that. They're starting out as a freshman. What direction would you put them? You did chemistry, biology, all that. Uh, What would you say was the most beneficial if they were a dental student just starting out? I think biology, you're going to have to have to get, you know, you need to take the biology classes to get through dental school as your ultimate goal. But, the other thing is you need some business courses because uh, you come out of dental school and if you're going to have your own practice and run your own business, yeah. you need that knowledge. And it's something that they don't teach in dental school. Mm-hmm. Well, they teach you, especially even as an NP, they teach you how to treat the patient. They're not telling you how to run things and That's all right. that. It's a, it's a different world for sure. My wife's sister went to school in Tuscaloosa and went to the University of Alabama and got her degree in business. And then, you know, she decided that wasn't exactly what she wanted to do. Now she is uh, a nurse and she's the house supervisor at Floyd. So, I mean, she's using that business degree to manage uh, the hospital and the different things she has to manage. But she also is a work, you know, an ER nurse or I think she works in uh, uh, intensive care unit some. Mm -hmm. I think that was where her. She worked in intensive care most as a nurse. Mm-hmm. Well, education, they can't take it away from you. And that's right. what kind of my dad would tell me when I was younger. Develop things that people cannot take away from you. Character, your character, your morals, uh, education. What is things that it, no matter what people do, you can't take that away. Right. Uh, that's solid. 
Um, but yeah, but I think that's a great thing. But college is so expensive now. Right. You know, people going into dental school and all that. It's crazy. Um, what would you say to people? I mean, how do you even manage that? Student debt is almost, unless your parents are very wealthy, student debt is almost going to be in your future. Right. How do you manage that? You, you've got you've got to have a plan for that before you even start. If you're going to you're going to go all the way through and have to borrow money to go undergrad and then go graduate school. If you have to borrow money for all that, it's astronomical. Yeah. I know I've told uh, several people my last semester at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, my last semester tuition in 1988 was $835 <laughs> wow. for a whole semester. 1988. 1988. And now it's what? Six grand? A semester? E- easily. Easily. Yeah. Got to be more probably. And probably 12 to 15 grand a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, you end up, you go four years, and then you've got, if you go to dental school, uh, the tuition at dental school is probably, probably close to $10,000 a semester now. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even fathom that. That's well, you got to think about how long that's going to take to pay off, you know, and right. you you know, even maybe a little bit before your generation, maybe baby boomers, they're like, uh, were you baby boomer generation? I think so. I think I'm in the, at the end of kind it's the tail end 1964. Okay. Um, you know, I work in the summer, pay for college. <laughs> that's what you used to do. Oh yeah. Now you work for summer to have some food in college, maybe like Taco Bell every night. Yeah. But uh, you know, what, how do you do it? I mean, what do you, what, how do you manage that? It's just, you know, it's nearly impossible to do that now. Yeah. I think some of the programs I have, like one of my classmates in dental school, he went to a school in St. Louis where he right out of high school, he knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to be an oral surgeon. So he went to this, uh, college where he actually went through undergrad all the way through medical school with like one program Mm -hmm. and then he so he's graduated medical school and he's going into oral surgery so he ends up in our class at the dental school and finished the last two years of dental school with us wow and then he'd already been through a general surgery residency so after we finished the last two years of dental school he went right into the oral surgery department as the chief resident mm-hmm. and actually doing all kinds of uh, maxillofacial surgery mm-hmm. from uh, facelifts to uh, reconstruction from, you know, car wrecks and stuff. And we got to do some of that, you know, and help other surgeons there to dental school do some of this stuff. And some of it's pretty horrific till you start seeing them put yeah. these people back together that's, had some kind of a head trauma and their yeah. face is just nearly destroyed. Mm-hmm. Seen a few of those in the ER. I uh, used to, I worked in a small ER for about five, six years, the majority of my, and so we would get patients in, stabilize and then take them. But I noticed a trend toward the end of my tenure working as a nurse, they flew them from the scene. You know, they got right. them immediately to the highest level of care. Right. Just kind of saw that, but saw a lot of intoxicated individuals, yeah. uh, drinking, driving, crash, and you, unrecognizable. You right. can't even recognize right. them. And and I think until you experience things like that, you don't see how horrific those things, those decisions can be. One of my uh, roommates in Tuscaloosa, I, it was uh, one of the last roommates I had down there. He was from Phoenix City, and his brother worked as a nurse in a hospital there in Montgomery. 
and he came to Tuscaloosa going to see Alabama. We we're going to see Alabama play Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Alabama had a good team and Kentucky had a really good team. So we were, he came up. That's rare. And he, he's like, uh, comes in All that right, night Kentucky. and we're going and he's like, uh, he had to tell us about his, what happened in the ER the night before when he was working. Yeah. And he was like, so last night they brought these two people in from a car wreck. It was basically a, uh, car wreck where a Corvette ran under an 18 wheeler. Yeah. Both the people were decapitated. Yeah. And they brought them to the ER. And he and he's he's like, fellas, I don't think we can help these people. Yeah. He's like, these two people were completely decapitated and they brought them to the ER. And I don't, you know, he's like, you just, you know, that's something you, you don't do that. You don't take dead people to the ER. Sure. But well, was, working ER, you get a lot of people bring yeah. animals, people bring all kinds. It's like, what? How can we help you in that situation? Yeah. But the ER is kind of the catch-all. If yeah. anybody that's worked ER, I'm sure they're listening and stuff. It's it's the catch-all for anything and everything. But that was a break in the chain of command there. Mm-hmm. Uh, taking that's yeah. odd. I, I, he was like, there had to be some reason. Whoever these people were, they were taking them to the ER. Probably just uh, something to do, just to kind of soften the blow for the family or something. Could have been. Could have been. I don't know, but you know, people have their reasons. You know, there's the right and wrong thing to do, or whatever. But people that make odd decisions sometimes there's a reason for that. So yeah. he so had no knows. idea who the people were, and then, you know, we got to see a little of that stuff. We we would as uh, students we had to do rotations through the ER there at University Hospital. Yeah, and we were always paired up with. Was it old, DCH? Is it the same one? No, no, no. University Hospital in uh, Birmingham. Okay. Yeah. Oh, got you. Yeah. While we were in dental school, we would do rotations, and we would always be paired with the oral surgery resident and, you know, help them with whatever came in. Right. And, you know, some of those crazy stuff that comes in on Saturday nights, you can just, you know. Yeah. You won't forget it, man. I know I have many stories, and I've shared a few on here, but stuff you just never forget, man. The right. image is imprinted in your mind for sure. That's for and sure. And people deal with uh, mental health issues. And sometimes work is kind of an escape for people. Right. Like to go and chill. But when you work emergency medicine and all that, it's almost you're going into work to be traumatized. Yeah. Almost. It's, yeah. it's rough for sure. Yeah. You see people working there, seeing all this stuff, they get PTSD from that stuff. Yeah. And it can mess your head up. It can, absolutely. So, um, Talking about being a dentist, um, you can say where you're at. It doesn't matter. It's up to you. But why did you choose the area that you're at versus doing different avenues, uh, going into more of a special? Because you're general practice, yeah. is that right? So yeah. going into a specialty versus choosing the general practice, what was your decision behind that? Well, uh, you know, I, I had didn't know enough about dentistry when I started to really say that I wanted to specialize into a certain field. I didn't know enough about it to say that I wanted to do one specific thing. And really, I enjoy doing a lot of the different things I do. I do enjoy doing root canals and surgery and uh, the aesthetics part of it. I enjoy that. So I like a little of it all. So I, I, you know, I think general dentistry probably suits me better. I don't think I would like doing the same thing every day. Yeah. Because it's like, from day to day, you never know what's to what you're going to end up doing at my office. One day I might do two root canals, and the next day maybe a bunch of surgical stuff, and then the uh, the next day we may be doing a 
case where you're just basically making somebody have a pretty smile. Yeah. Yeah. But it's so it's just the variety that you like, the yeah. variety of not being ever bored ever, really. That's, right. that's what made you choose that round? That's it. And uh, it's like uh, this this area, we came back to live here because it's home to yeah. me, you know. And uh, it, But I told my wife the only other place that I ever want to live in, a, in this state that I ever really consider would be to go back to Tuscaloosa because that was like, and it's very similar. The, the the area there and the area here is kind of similar as far as a uh, good place to raise kids, you know, and a family-oriented place. And mm-hmm. uh, it's just – and it really, uh, Tuscaloosa and Gaston, as far as size-wise, probably close to the same size. Yeah, I would say. Mm-hmm. You got all those students at the university that changes things when they come in for school every fall and spring. but. Mm-hmm. Other than that, it's pretty similar. Mm-hmm. So raising a family, was that kind of what you looked toward when you were trying to pick a spot to, to start to practice long-term? Uh, that and just, you know, uh, somewhere that I thought I could thrive. Yeah. Well, you definitely have built a, a great place. I get my teeth cleaned at your place, man, and it's, a, it's always a great experience for sure. And uh, it's been really fortunate for me. I mean, uh, Monica that works there with me, she cleans your teeth. Yeah. She's she has been working with me since the day I opened in 1992. That's amazing. Yep. July the 6th, 1992. We started together there and we've been there ever since. I was born a month before that. <laughs> Just shows you how young I am. Yeah. But yeah, that's awesome, man. So if if somebody was, you know, kind of trying to decide what they wanted to do in their life, um, would you tell them that a dentist is a good option or what would you say to that? I think it is. Uh, it, it's something I think it, uh, if it appeals to you, I mean, you, you get there are certain things you're going to have to be able to do physically. And, uh, you know, your hands got to actually do what your brain tell them to. Yeah. That's, you know, that's got to happen. Hands. And uh, if, it, if it appeals to you, you know, yeah, I think dentistry still is a good profession. I, I think uh, somebody, is that would be better it would be better if you actually go and watch different parts of dentistry actually being done yes you know like watch somebody doing root canals watch somebody doing surgery watch somebody doing the the crowns and bridges and the prosthetic part of it different parts like that just go see those different things and see what appeals to you Mm-hmm. I think that's a very important going back to what we said earlier, experience a lot of different things and see what you like. Right. Um, I would hate, you know, people that are listening, I would hate to for somebody to do something, get into it, spend their whole 20s, 30s perfecting a craft and then just hate their life. Right. You know, uh, yeah. terrible thing. But um, I think I'm very fortunate. You know, it's like, you know, every day you go in, it's like you just, some, you know, you never know what you're going to see. Yeah. Every day it's different. Well, you see people before they even go to nursing school, they're starting out there. So they say, I'm going to be an anesthesiologist. Well, first we got to get through basic. Then we got to get nursing. Then we got to work. I see you two years and all that. You don't even know the environment. You don't even know a hospital. You know, you kind of need to get your feet wet. Now you can do it. And there's people that do it and thrive. I'm not saying don't do that, but I would definitely say, put yourself in that environment. Shadow volunteer get a tech job whatever you got to do and get in there yeah i agree we've got a student from 
one of the local high schools that come and, and just has started. And they're just, you know, they're interested and they just want to see what's involved. And it's like, uh, I know, I think uh, the mother of the uh, high school student even said something to uh, Monica, I think it was. It's like uh, she was worried that uh, her child, you know, would uh, pass out from, you know, seeing a bloody situation. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you're going to find out. It happens. It does. And it it's does. better to find out now. <laughs> exactly. Versus putting all the years in and then finding out I can't see blood or whatever. That's that's rough. Right. Um, I want to bring this up. My mom told me this story. You went to nursing homes when you started out and did dental work. Tell tell me about that. Kind of dive into that story, what that was like and when that was. Uh, I, It was probably the first 10 or 15 years after I got out of dental school and I was my practice was growing and I would go see patients in the nursing home that needed different things, uh, mainly at the nursing home in Collinsville. Okay. Uh, I knew the people up there, and they needed somebody, and they have to do exams to see the condition of the patient's mouth, you know, see where they're at when they come in. Okay. So uh, I would go up there and do the exams, and then if they needed some stuff done like uh, extractions or Sometimes even making uh, an appliance, uh, prosthetic teeth, dentures, stuff like that, depending on the patient. If it's something we couldn't do there at the nursing home, we would make arrangements for them to actually go see a surgeon or come to my office and have the work done. But uh, it was, you know, it's pretty interesting. Some of the things you see with the patients at the nursing home. Yeah. Some of the... uh, yeah, they'll blow your mind. Some of the things they'll do too. Yeah, uh, I, one of uh, in one of the situations there was a patient there that she was a little frail woman, and uh, she probably weighed a hundred pounds. And then uh, the her denture got lost, so she had difficulty eating. She lost like thirty pounds before I could even get her a new denture made. Mm-hmm. It was just that quick, and that's that's tough when you're in your 80s or 90s. Even medical people don't even sometimes think how important dentistry is yeah. to quality of life and everything. It's it's vital. Yeah, it and really it, is. As people get older, their teeth and being able to eat becomes yes. more and more important. Yes, well, nutrition and all that. It's yeah. it's it's a big deal. Um, so you said Collinsville. Are your parents from Collinsville? Actually, my parents and my family all came up from uh, it's Lookout Mountain, uh, north of Gadsden. Uh-huh. It's where we're from. Uh, Delena grew up most of her life in uh, the area over there in the valley, close to Collinsville. And uh, I actually ended up going to Collinsville in the eighth grade. Went up there and started going to school. Wanted to go up to I wanted to go play football at Collinsville. Okay. My dad had played football there and went to school there, and okay. I don't know. I just got it in my head. That's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it, our family's been from up there in that area for I don't know how long. But, uh, and really, Gadsden is that when I was growing up, when we went to town, we went to Gadsden. Yeah. And that was that was town. Well, I talk to people now, and, and they're like, uh, yeah, we go from Oxford to Gasden. We go to the mall. I'm like, 
why <laughs> why but it is in your from get in this area kind of a different a moderately sized town i wouldn't say a small town um you know you got a lot of people coming in here but you're like it ain't nothing special but it's kind of how perception you see is kind of different from everybody's life yeah and, and it's it's always been a, a good area uh to raise kids yeah small you know you have uh good people here in this area a lot of good people yeah all over Gadsden and and Etowah County in this area, even surrounding counties, you just got good hardworking people. Mm-hmm. Yep, hardworking. By the way, I, I want to say something about that student that that came there. That is so rare, I think, in the younger generation to see now somebody eager to learn, eager right. to get their hands dirty, even to see what's going on, right. and say, "I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do." That's so rare in this this new generation. It's the first time in a long time anybody's even uh, talked to us about coming. Yeah, we had uh, the last student we had was probably ten or fifteen years ago. Mm. He's grown, got his own kids, you know, and stuff now. And uh, but you know, it's it's just the first time in a long while that I've actually had a high school student that's wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. What do you think about, you know, we talked about kids at this time, how it's so different. What do you think about raising kids during this time? Can you even really fathom that? How do you even do that? I know it's just, it's a lot, it's so much different. All yeah. the different things that's out there. Uh, well, the exposure. Yeah. You you know. They're exposed to so much crap that's scary. And it's like it's just scary what the kids are exposed to and the environment they're in, and mm-hmm. uh, what can happen to them. It's a scary world. Well, kids are multiple. They're supposed to be. You know, I think biblically we'll get into faith-based stuff in a minute, but um, a man and woman marry each other and take care of kids and kind of mold them in the shape that God wants them, you know, to be. I agree. Um, you know, and that that's kind of we've got away from that. I feel like the family unit, but the family unit is so fractured as a whole. You know, yeah. a lot of single mothers, a lot of too much. You know, the family unit is uh, something. It's like I I wouldn't know how to function outside that family unit. I think that's you know, just never consider giving up. And uh, I think too easy to. Give up, and and you see too many moms trying to raise the kids by themselves. Yes, and almost discongratulated. Yeah. Uh, why? I, I've never really understood that. I don't think we we're going to speculate on that and all that. It's yeah. up to you if you want to go in on that, but that's just something I've never understood. Um, I but I think it. honestly, in my opinion, it begins and ends with a man. That's something uh, a guy that I follow. Uh, men have to be leaders. We got to do the right thing. We have to act accordingly. Right. And if we're leading the proper way, I think women will follow. But women haven't followed, I think, because men are not leading properly. And if they would step up and lead properly, uh, that's at the top, presidential down. Yeah. You know, we got to lead the right way. And I think I think some women have just got fed up yep. with the men they've had to deal with. That's and, it. And they're just, you know, they're walking away. That's it. And I've talked about women on the podcast and stuff, and they should do this and that. But I say that if the man is acting accordingly, if they're in a structured way, if they're doing the right thing, because as men, we're supposed to be leaders. We're supposed to show women, I feel like this is the direction we need to go, live a good life and all that. Right. And if the man isn't doing that, I don't blame a woman for one, you know, not wanting to be with them and all that. I don't blame them. I think, uh, you know, too, the man should give the wife and the kids security. Yes. It's like 
It's like they, they should know that dad's going to be there. Dad's going to, you know, work. Dad's going to bring money in. Dad's going to support us. Dad's going to take care of us. You know, I think uh, the moms and kids need that, that security, that confidence in the, in the dad that he's there no matter what. Well, that's their innate nature. And yeah. that feel, I feel like it's men's innate nature to provide and be and be a safe place for people. Right. Um, the happiest men that I've ever been around are married men with kids yeah. that have the family unit. They're in the house. And sure, they're going to have hard times. They have hard stuff to go through, difficulties, all that. Right. But overall, they're a more happier person because, uh, you know, people talk masculine and feminine. I don't know if you're familiar. Yeah. People are big on that now. But that's the masculine role uh, to lead and direct and provide and all that. Yeah, it's uh, you know, I, I you know, growing up seeing my dad and his dad, uh, how they were the provider and they worked hard, did whatever was necessary to take care of everybody. That's it. That's it at all yeah. costs. But I think that's it. You know, uh, men have to step up. Men have to lead. That's the reason I started this podcast, man. We got to get people on the right track, and we got to. Got to do the right thing. So I want to talk about, I brought up the Collinsville thing. We kind of got off a little bit, but talked about a lot of good stuff. Um, how was being your parents, you were raised in a Christian household, correct? Yes. How was that like? How did that shape you in your life? And was that beneficial to you as a whole? Well, yeah, I think being in church, being around good, godly people, and the way it shapes your mind, and you think like that, you don't, you don't think about this other stuff that people get caught up in that leads them astray going down that wrong path. And it's like once you start down that path, you're stuck on it. And it's like it's hard to get back to that, the straight path that you need to be on where you're doing things the right way. That's right. It's just tough. But uh, it's like I guess you'd say I just didn't know any better because that's the way uh, my parents did it. And I, I, you know, felt like, you know, that's the way I was going to do it. I was going to be like them, Mm -hmm. you know. We learned had a lot of good people in our church growing up at Black Creek, and uh, learning, you know, learning uh, the Bible and what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. And I think you know, learning that at an early age is huge. Yes, there's too many kids this day and time don't know right from wrong. Well, there's no structure, yeah. they don't have a parent structure. They right. don't have uh mother and father there to right. guide them you know and, so, so no they don't wonder. go to church they don't learn it from anybody yeah so it's just kind of out there on their own doing their own thing mm-hmm. no wonder where we're at you know biblically we are you know our parents are supposed to guide us that's their role you right. know and so if you don't have that children will fall for whatever um young kids old kids whatever right um so you would say you know being in a christian household that kind of shaped you pretty well you would say that yes i think it was essential Mm-hmm. I think it's essential today, and I think you know, um, kids need it. Kids need that structure, that guidance, and everything else. And you see what happens when mm-hmm. they don't. I feel like it's like uh, too many kids. I think yes, you know, they don't have enough structure in their life. They don't have stuff to do. It's like they're just out there doing whatever they want to do, and that's when they start doing things they shouldn't be doing. Right? They find out uh, they can do this, and it's the easy way. The easy way to uh, have success and, and success might be getting an ice cream cone when you're a kid, you know, you, and, uh, different things in your life. You don't want to start doing, uh, well, you don't want to start stealing and doing things like that at an early age sure. and learning that 
you know, that, that, uh, you know, fulfills your needs even mm-hmm. at an early age. And instead of learning to, to work for it and do the right thing to get where you want to go. There's a big psychological component right there. What you just said, stealing and, and getting satisfaction. You know, I get my needs met by stealing and all that. But I think as, if a kid does that, that's the parent's role. They got to step in and correct that. You exactly. Know? And uh, but like I said, um, probably five or six times already without that structure. Where is the guidance at? It's that's not it. there. And you can't expect. Like, you know, you see, you, we talk about stealing, and, and you see uh, the authorities, the police officers, and, you know, they try to step in and try to help uh, with that and, and show the kids uh, that, you know, this is not the path you want to go down. Right. But it's it's a lot different uh, hearing that from a stranger in a uniform than hearing it from your mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know uh, something along the same lines I can remember. Going to school, I rode my grandmother's bus. She drove the bus. Mm-hmm. And I remember her telling me, she's like, I ain't got to worry about getting on to you. She's like, uh, she told me, she said, all I got to do is call your daddy. That's it. And it's like, yeah, I'm not going to be doing anything bad on my mom's bus. Absolutely. You know, my mom, she'd be like, wait till your dad gets home. Oh, yeah. And that's, oh, yeah. it sends chill through my body. I'm that's like, the, I'm, I'm in yeah. trouble. Like. You know, but it's a reverence. It's not like you're scared of your dad, but you want to honor your father, yeah. you know, as a child. And, and you don't want your dad thinking bad about you about anything. Sure. Sure. Yes, yeah, a very important thing. Um, good stuff, man. I've liked everything we've talked about. It's been a really good episode thus far. Um, I didn't touch on this point. We talked about dentistry, but the medical field now versus when you started, 35 years ago, you said, right? Right. What changes have you seen? There's been tons of medical improvements. Obviously, you've noticed that. But I think there's a lot of downfalls as well. What is your overall opinion on the way the medical field has transitioned over 35 years? Well, you know, there's there's things that we've made a lot of improvements on. Uh, there's a lot lot better technology and new medicine. Uh, I think, you know, the, the, the way we do dentistry now is so much different than when I went to school. Uh, like, for instance, like, uh, back when I went to school, one of the big things we learned to do was just like silver fillings on people's teeth. And that was a pretty much a staple. And it's like, I haven't done a silver filling in probably over 20 years now. Yeah. Because we did, we do tooth color fillings now, you know, it's just this different technology. And then, uh, in the medical field, all the research and different things have been going on. You see all these new medicines that help people. Um, and you know, I think the research has got to be done. You you need that. Uh, you need to know what this medicine is going to do. You don't want to get it on the market and then it kill a bunch of people or you right. know cause more problems than it's worth. Right. I think we see a little of that happening. At, at I'm this not. Time yeah, time. don't say it because I think it'll flag. The, they'll probably take the video down. Yeah. But we can allude. There's things that are happening. There's yeah. stuff that needs <laughs> to be done. There's more research need to be done on things. Sure. Right. Before it's released to the public. Right. And generally, there is a certain trial period. We we have these reviews. Yeah. It's tested in a small pool, larger pool, all that. Right. Uh, that is necessary. It's like, oh, uh, we was looking at something the other day on, uh, I think it was polio, the uh, vaccine for polio. Yes. It took 52 years to develop that. Yeah. That's a great, yeah. that's a great thing. That's a say. long time. According you know, you think about technology then as to technology now, it's a whole different world. But 
Sure. 52 years to develop a vaccine for mm. polio. Uh, and you take, we've like got uh, cures for cancer, different kinds of cancers and stuff now that that's always been a big one. I know since I was a kid, you know, they were really trying to cure cancer. And yeah. There's certain kinds of cancer they can cure now mm-hmm. that they couldn't cure when I was a kid. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's a never-ending effect. The human condition, as we cure things, more things appear. Yeah. I think that's that's kind of an ongoing thing, something to really think about. But yeah. medicine men, you know, even since I've started, I started in 2014 practicing uh, as a nurse, and now I'm a nurse practitioner. But it's changed so much, man. You it know, is. and I think the biggest component is the further we go into technology, the more we distance ourselves from the patient. Right. I think that's a big thing. We look at, you know, I, I go into a doctor's office and they're just sitting there on the computer typing like, what are you here for today? They don't even look at you, talk to you, you know, right. when I see a patient and they, and you know, I get praised by all these people. It's like, you listen to what I'm saying, right. just go in there and sit with them. Let them talk. Yeah. Like, you know, they'll tell you what's going on. Right. It ain't that hard, and it don't take that long, really. Just talk to them, let them speak. Yeah. But technology has driven us so far away from the patient. Right. We've gotten away from the patient. We're just absorbed into the technology. Yeah. And uh, that human element is the key to all of it. Yeah. Being able to think and know, you know, certain, you know, you, you got to be able to make decisions. But, uh, that you know, it's like. I'm mostly working on stuff to do with teeth, mm-hmm. but those teeth are attached to a whole human. Yeah. It's, you got to remember that and not, not to get away from that. Cause if you fix the teeth and the person still dies, it doesn't do much good. Well, think about this. Here's a scenario I just thought of really quick. Somebody has an abscess, uh, skin bacteria, MRSA, say it's MRSA, whatever. Right. You can Google antibiotics and have a list of them, but I know. Bactrim, clindamycin, there are certain antibiotics that are going to cover right. MRSA. Right. Um, there's a human element. There's a human component that cannot be taken away. Now, that right. could be taught to a computer or whatever. Right. But, you know, technology should be our, our use, our aid, versus yeah. it being the whole uh, patient interaction, I feel like, for sure. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like too, too many people don't deal with interacting with other people anymore. Yeah. It's like they wanna they wanna just use the technology and not have to deal with the humans. Yeah. Yeah. But I think if you that goes back to we've said it three or four times about choosing the field you want to be in. If you go in the medical field, something you're gonna have to talk with people. Right. Like there's some things you can actually do work from home and stuff like that, but it's kind of few and far between. You should have some uh, you know, give to be able to talk to people and stuff. You gotta have right. some social skills. Exactly. And uh that's something I think it uh, a lot of the like professional schools don't really they don't really delve into that so much. I guess they just expect you to have that ability. That's a good point. Used to we did in the eighties, nineties, two thousands. We talked to each other. Oh yeah. And then cell phones and all that. We just text. We whatever, which is great. Yeah. But nothing is going to take away real human connection, real human interaction. Yeah. I'd lot rather talk with somebody for five minutes on the phone then text for 25 yeah well it's texting on the phone and then in person you can't the gap in between all of those right. and you know even on the phone you're not seeing social cues you're not seeing 
what people are doing is just such a big difference. Like this podcast, there's an audio portion, there's a video. You can just watch, listen to the audio. Right. But if you see the video, video, you can see my facial expressions. You can see everything that's, and you get a so much better experience. Exactly, it's the same thing. Um, but we've we've just gotten so far away from that. But I think technology has become so absorbed in people, we've almost got addicted to it, for sure addicted to it. Right. But we're just so dependent on it. Right. Versus yeah. having the human element. And uh, you know, technology is good, and I think it helps, but it's just a tool. Right. It is a tool. There's a lot of tools. You just got to learn to use them all. And it's a great one. But with everything comes discipline. You know, with any type of pleasurable thing, there has to be discipline there. Right. Or it can get out of hand and all that. Um, it's the same exact thing. Definitely got to gotta put a thing on it. The AI stuff that's coming out now, I mean, it's like. Yeah, it's a little scary. Terminator. Uh, isn't it Terminator? I, I actually have never even seen the whole movie. I don't think I have. But, but yeah, it's like a robotic thing. Like the Matrix, right? Right. The Matrix. Yeah, and stuff you know, uh, artificial intelligence, and you know, if if you watch Terminator and seen all the different ones, it's like, yeah, I don't know if this is so good. Yeah, given yeah. a computer it's knowledge. Like, yeah, yeah. You think about the computers taking over and just you know they decide they're just going to do away with us and just, well, that's that's that Terminator. Yeah, technology and. It's kind of the whole driving thing behind it. Well, they say, you know, AI, we're branching off on this, but I'm just going to roll with it. AI, you know, we still control it. And I think for now, right? for now we do, that, but it continues to grow so fast. I mean, it's, right. it's amazing. And, and, and that, you know, that was the thing in those Terminator movies. It's like the, the uh, computers become self-aware. Right. And it's like the, the humans are the problem. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to get rid of the humans. Yeah. Age of Ultron and uh, Avengers. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. Same thing. Same thing. Um, it can be a scary thing. I don't know how far away that could be. Donut, which I thought we would have flying cars by 2020. Oh, yeah. You know, I thought so. <laughs> it's like they, they're talking about we have all these flying cars and all this stuff. And uh, yeah, that stuff's not really materialized. It's not some some of that's not just not practical. Yeah, absolutely. So you can we, imagine what flying cars would be like people flying around in cars everywhere. Can you imagine the wrecks? Yeah, that's what Elon Musk was saying. It's like impossible. And the noise, the pre the wind and the, the force from the engines and all that, right. it's not practical. It's just not practical at it's all. It's not. Um, but yeah, people can't drive a regular car. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's hard enough for folks, apparently. <laughs> drive a regular car. <laughs> And they're just, you get them uh, in something that's flying around, they're just like off the rails. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. would be. It would be, uh, yeah, I think it would be disastrous. I don't, I don't see how, unless it, it was like a AI thing and it control, you put in a destination and it drove you there. Yeah. And it had sensors that could sense it, mate, but a, a person driving a flying car, no. Yeah. That's, yeah. I, I don't, I, you'd have to have air traffic controllers out the wazoo to do all that. Right. Right. Um, we talked about your parents. I wanted to talk about your Christian faith. I was going to talk about that when we got into all these other topics, which was awesome. But your Christian faith, you said you grew up in a uh, Christian home. Mm -hmm. When were you saved? What was that experience like? And how has that led you through life? Oh, I was, I, I became a Christian at a very early age. I, I was, uh, like seven years old Yeah, and, uh, I'd always grown up, grown up in church and, you know, uh, learned right from wrong, uh, learned a lot about the Bible at an early age. And that, that, that was, 
very important, I think, to me. And then, it's, I don't know, there was a, a, a revival that was in the summertime when I was at that age. And it's just like, uh, you know, you start thinking and you start feeling that urge. It's like, uh, it's like I, I felt like I needed to do it. I felt like, it, like I was being called, you know, I was, it's like, I just, uh, it was like the next step for me that, and I felt like, uh, it was necessary. Mm. Explain that call. I think a lot of people might even feel that, and then they get irritated almost, like they they deject it and all that. Explain how that felt, the call to Christ. It's like, you know, you hear about all these uh, fire and brimstone preachers, and I heard those when I was growing up, too, where they were talking about, you know, if you don't get saved, you're going to hell. Yeah. You know, and it's almost like scare tactics, if you think about it. Sure. Uh, and it, But to me, it was more like uh, I, I felt like uh, God had something for me to do, and uh, becoming a Christian was the next step in doing that. And, you know, I still, to this day, I, I think that God has a plan for all of us, and I yes. think, you know, he's got a plan for me for what he wants me to do. And when I'm, when I'm done with that, it'll be my time to go home. That's it. That's it. So you feel like it shaped your life uh, pretty well over your life. You know, a lot of people would say um, Christians aren't fun or, or you don't get to experience certain things in life or, or all that. What would you say to that? I think you get to experience plenty Yeah. as a Christian. I think you experience things depending on how you, how you take it and, and how you live. And I think uh, you're still going to experience life. And it, it very likely to be a little different, uh, maybe a little more sheltered than some. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe that's not so bad. Right. Maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, I, I consider myself sheltered. I say this um, when I went from Southside to John Jones or Southside to Rainbow Middle, uh, went from elementary to middle school. The way it's set up, if people don't understand this, two elementary schools combine into one middle school. See, right. and the difference of the kids. The John Jones kids to me were a lot more grown to me. It was it was a culture shock for sure. And then even going to high school was kind of different. But I was very sheltered. But I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, yeah. I think you need to understand people. I think you need to be around other children and all that. Right. But being sheltered isn't necessarily, especially as a kid, a bad thing. Some things you don't need to know about so young. Right. There. Yeah. There's a lot of crap that kids learn about way too young now, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. You know, it's scary. Some of the things they learn about. Yeah. Yeah. We've done a deep dive. Uh, Logan Johnson. Uh, he was on the podcast, did a deep dive on that. You'll have to watch that episode. It's already out actually. Okay. But, um, yeah, yeah. It's scary. The stuff children are exposed to now and, and all that, but children are not meant to carry the weight of some of the decisions. There's almost being asked to, to make now. As uh, some of the stuff that people are touting that kids get, should make their own decisions. I'm like, no, I don't kids. think so. They're kids. They're not old enough to make that decision yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's a wild time, man. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So um, you talked about fire and brimstone preachers mm -hmm. uh, yelling, you know, you're going to hell if you don't get saved yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Do you feel like that method is good? Do you feel like, you know, people say God is love. You know, and I feel like God is love, yeah. but do you think that method of harshness of the reality of it is a good thing to hear? Well, you know, I think hearing it 
once or, you know, you hear that a couple times and you understand that. But I don't think hearing that every day is really something that would make me want to be a Christian. Yeah. I think uh, what, you know, God's plan in your life and, and, and God is love and uh, he has love for you. And in turn, you have love for others. Right. I think that's what what really led me to become a Christian and how I think. I don't think worrying about going to hell all the time is what you need to be doing. I don't, no, not very healthy. Yeah, not healthy at all. Yeah, yeah. but I think the decision is, thank God, yeah. Jesus or God sent Jesus to die right. for us. And because I believe in him, right. I'm, go, I'm not going to hell. Right. Thank God for that. But it's not something I ever am like, oh, man. You know, like, all the time. Two of the greatest words in the world is love and hope. Because uh, if you don't have love, it's, it's pretty miserable. And if there's no hope, I mean, it's pretty miserable too. I mean, what it's like if you don't have hope for a future, if you don't have hope in your life, it's pretty miserable. Yeah. You got to have something bigger than you. You know, I think right. that's in life. That's in everything but i think we have a god who is yeah. and i think looking on him depending on him he gets us through everything absolutely yeah. um that's great man so you went on mission trips I did. uh did a lot of, shared a lot of your stuff about that i remember at the church when you were there kind of talk about your experience in mission trips what that was like what you learned well uh the mission trips i went on uh overseas were in honduras and we were there and uh the the country had been decimated by a hurricane and it destroyed a lot of the infrastructure in that country. Bridges were gone. Roads were gone. People were cut off in different parts of that country. And we would go in there and as a mission team, we'd go to different villages, set up a medical clinic, uh, take the word of Jesus Christ to the village, and also provide them with different medicine, uh, uh, like doing ex medical exams, uh, dental exams, even eye exams, and in, in providing medicine and different things. But the the chief thing is, you know, evangelizing and, and telling them about Jesus. But then also we were doing different things in the community to help them improve their quality of life. Because mm -hmm. it was pretty bad when I first started going. And uh, uh, I think Brother Jerry, one, he, he really started talking to me about it. Uh, and then Dr. Fairchild that was there in, in town. Yes. And uh, I started going, and it's like it's it's almost like uh, you get hooked on it because it's it's so fulfilling to go do that, and uh, you you help these people, and you you get so much out of it. They're getting a lot out of it too, but you get a lot out of that just seeing what you can do to help people. You get more out of doing for people than doing for yourself, right? I think if you, and that's a Chinese proverb, I think even, yeah. if you want to feel better, go do something for somebody else. Um, I, in my life, especially when I've <clears throat> ever been down or ever been you know upset about something and all that, if I look to other people, and it's hard to do sometimes, but if you look at other people and help other people, it, it makes you feel so much better, man. Oh, yeah. That's a great feeling. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything is any better. But that's what we're called to do. That's we're it. Christians. We're supposed to eat outreach to people, love on people. All that, and we have talents, we have gifts. God put us through what we've been through, our schooling and all that. Right. And he gave us that, and we're supposed to use that for his glory. Yes, right. Yeah, but that's great, man. 
Um, I want to talk about Dr. Fairchild. I don't know if he'll, I don't even think I've met him before, but I know he's a full time now missionary. Yeah. He, he gave up his practice. He did. Uh, he was a root canal specialist here. So I want to talk about that before we dive into everything. A root canal specialist, very successful financially. Very, I mean, yeah. insanely successful. Gave up his practice to go be a full time missionary. Right. Um, people that are not Christians would look at that and say, that's insanity. Yeah. Why that doesn't even make any sense. Uh, what would you describe that? You know, you can kind of go into it now. I just kind of want to preface with that. Well, you know, and you you talk about he was very successful. He was good. He was very good at what he did. And he also had uh an experience that um he he had that change, I guess you'd say, in his life where he was more concerned with spreading the word and the good good news of Jesus Christ than helping people with the physical problems uh, like their teeth or their sickness, you know. And uh, I think uh, he just felt led to do that. And I think it's something that started small. And it started when, you know, he was going on mission trips and then he, uh, he felt that calling. And, and I, you know, even when we went together, you could see it. I, I could feel, I, I could see it in him that, uh, eventually that was something he's going to want to do full time. Yeah. It just, it was in him and you could see it with the way he interacted with people and how he was able to, uh, actually, Tell them about Jesus mm-hmm. and get and relate it to them. Yeah, but it's just a it's a wild story, really. Uh, mm-hmm. You see a lot of people they give up all their belongings. You know, they have just a basic job and go be. But to be so successful to give that up, um, somebody that's not a Christian, I think would kind of call that crazy. Yeah. Uh, but that's the power of God. I think that's the call. Right. That's how strong that is. Uh, when is. you're in tune with Him, He's going to give you a mission, and that's the assignment. You know, you go out and do what you're supposed to do. And now they're, you know, uh, setting up uh, clinics. Like, I think they have, like, a clinic uh, uh, that they run full-time down there. And actually, a medical and dental. uh, And uh, also going out still and evangelizing to the smaller communities there and the little villages all around the country. But mm-hmm. the the quality of life in Honduras has changed a lot since we first started going. It's uh, There's different countries from all over the world have come in and helped rebuild their infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think uh, the, the people of the world, uh, and a lot of them are uh, the Christian people of the world that went in there and did that stuff. Yeah. It made a big difference. But that, a lot of people would ask that. Why even, you know, what is that pull to do that? But I think it's 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 hard to even describe for me um, the, the want to help people, that desire. Yeah. Uh, but it's there. I think in the, if you're a Christian, that's something. I think if you want to, because a lot of people have doubt. I did when I was in my teens, actually, about being a Christian. I had a lot of doubts and stuff. That's, that's natural. That's, it, it is. It is. And I think especially I got saved when I was eight. You got saved when you were seven. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of natural to think, was this true? Was it real? Right. But look at conviction. Can you sin all the time without feeling anything? Right. 
Uh, and how are you, how do you feel about people? And I'm not saying introvert, extrovert and all that, but do you have a desire to be an outreach to people? Like, do you have a desire to love people? Right. I mean, you know, I, and I think, uh, growing up in a, in a, like a, in a setting where you're, there's love. Yes. And, uh, people care about one another and, uh, just caring, you know, seeing and feeling that need. I think it's, it's almost like human nature to want to help others. Yes. I think that's something that it's there. And I don't think we really learned that. I think it's, it's there from the get go. Mm-hmm. A challenge to everybody, man, uh, men lead your family and eat at the dinner table. I think that's a big one. I think it's huge. Now you're growing up. You did that. I know. Right. Uh, Cause we did a good bit. We had this little uh, Island or like a, like a, well, it was like in a line, but we all four sat together, me and my brother, and my parents and ate dinner together. Um, you don't even have to say anything, just the presence of family unity and all that. And now turn on a Netflix show, everybody laid back eating and all that. I think it's so important to sit up, look at each other, talk to each other. It's, it's huge, crucial. Yeah, I agree. I, and that time together and, uh, it's just so much of that has been lost, but just the hectic lives we lead, mm-hmm. not getting to spend time with each other, like a set time every day, sit down and eat and talk and interact. We're so distracted. And I think Satan, I've said it the past three or four podcasts, he's very sneaky. He does yeah. things by design, but he's not going to say, okay, don't talk to your family. Right. He's going to keep you so busy and so occupied to where you ignore everything you need to do and all yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but, but I think that's one thing about our, you know, culture now is we're all so busy. We're so self-centered. We're so focused on other stuff. We don't even think about other people. Yeah, yeah. that's true. It seems like everybody's so busy. And, and when I was growing up, it doesn't seem like everybody was like that. It's like good point. People took time for each other. Right. Uh, I know it's like when I was growing up every, every night we ate supper together. Uh, every Sunday we went to church and after church, we always ate with, uh, my grandparents every Sunday. Mm-hmm. We saw them every Sunday. Yeah. I was fortunate to grow up where my grandparents, one was, uh, lived about five miles away and the other one lived about 50 yards. Wow. Yeah. But it's important, man. Uh, the unity of people and all that. Um, we're going to segue cause you mentioned grandparents. So you're a grandparent. I am. Yeah. So tell me about being a grandparent, having a grandchild and what that experience is like versus being a parent. Well, the, oh, it's, you know, you have, you get to be with the grand, that's Veda, our granddaughter. Right. You spend time with her and, uh, you know, I don't know how to explain it. It's like, uh, the, of course, the unconditional love that you have for each other. And, you know, it's like uh, you spend time together, you love one another, do things together, uh, and and you just just seeing her and seeing her grow up, you know, I, I can't really explain it. It's like uh, when, when you're raising your own children, you've got all this responsibility that you're trying to impart and uh-huh. teach them. But as a grandparent, you're sitting back and you're like, yeah, I don't need to meddle. I don't need to get in the middle of that and let the parents parent. Sure. 
And, you know, you do your part, but you don't want to get in the way and get between mom and dad and the child, you know. So being a grandparent, you would say it's kind of like being a parent without, without all the pressure of it. That's true. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, you have, you have to walk a fine line. You don't, you want to, you want to impart what you think that child needs to learn. Sure. But then you don't want to, uh, infringe on the, on mom's or dad's, uh, territory, their job. You don't want to get in the way. You don't want to cause problems between mom and dad and the child. Yep. I think that's huge, man. And I don't think that's a common view. I think there's a lot of grandparents that want things to be a certain way, even parents, you know. Yeah. Uh, but as parents and the child, that's it. Um, you know, I've thought about that throughout my life when I have children and stuff. Uh, there may have to be hard conversations with a grandparent, maybe, you know, where you have to set a boundary or whatever else. Yeah. But it seems like you have the right idea. You try to impart your values and all that on the mm -hmm. child, but you honor the father and the mother of that child. And, and just the way you live and act is going to be huge. That's it. If they see that, it's like, and they know it's right and no right from wrong. And, you know, you teach them to do what's right. Well, I think that's the problem with kids today. I, I sound old when I say that. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, where is the role model? Where is that? They're not going to listen to what you say if you're out doing a different thing. That's right. They're looking at what you do. They're looking at behavior. Yeah. Uh, you can say whatever. That's fine. They may listen. But they truly uh, you know, ingest that behavior versus what you're saying. And I think that's what we see with children now and why they act the way they do. I think they're mimicking probably the behavior they see. That's right. They they see it and they think it's okay. Yeah. They think, they think that's just how it is. Yeah. And that's why it's so important as a parent, if you have a child to model yourself, you know, uh, carry yourself in a good way. You're not right. going to be perfect. Nobody is. Um, but model yourself in a way and understand that your child is watching you and they're absorbing everything. And everybody makes mistakes. Right. But, I mean, if you make a mistake, you, you need to own up to it and make up for it. Right. And change behavior. Right. I think a mistake keeping on being made is, right. you know, it's yeah. not going to change anything. Yeah. Um, but that's why I think accountability partners with men. I don't know if you have men around you that you talk with and all that. But having guys checking you a little bit, saying, yeah. hey, right. you know, even if you don't agree with them or whatever, loving them, you know, accepting what they say right. um, and talking to them, be like, I appreciate your your value on that. You know, yeah. bring that to my attention. Yeah. Accountability, you know. Yeah. And, and having accountability, you know, like you say, different guys holding each other accountable. It's, I think it's important. Uh, and that, that's one of the things is like going to church and having that group of guys that hold you accountable is important. Yep. Iron sharpens iron. That's the way it is. That's it. Um, cool, man. Um, so we did not touch on this, but I do want to talk about this because Delena was a stay at home mom. Right. Right. There's a big push even recently in the past five years or so, there's been a lot more stay at home moms. They've kind of seen the benefits of that. Right. Uh, men going to work and all that you alluded to before your dad worked. I don't know if it was your mom, a stay at home mom. She stayed at home and was at home with us, uh, and it was after all me and my two sisters, we were in school and up. I was in uh, junior high school, so both of my sisters were in elementary and middle school. Sure. I was in high school before Mama ever went to work doing anything, mm -hmm. and she worked at the school at Collinsville up there, so she was working – 
close to where we were. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a big, you know, that's a big plus. Sure. Sure. But, but how do you feel about stay at home moms in general? Do you think that's important to a child's development? I think mm-hmm. it's necessary. I yeah. think it's, I do. I think mom and the kids being together, especially at an early age is huge. Yeah. Because there's so much that can get away if you don't have that. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can't depend on others to teach your children. Well, that's the view I have, you know, when I get married and have children and all that, um, you know, I want my wife to take care of my children, not somebody else. That's just mm-hmm. the way, cause she is it, a family unit. We keep that closed loop. Right. That doesn't mean that sometimes somebody can't help or all that, but the main provider and t- caregiver should be, you know, the mother and father and all that. That's I just agree. the way I view it. I agree. Do you feel like that benefited you having your mom as a stay at home mom? I do. I, I, you know, and being, being with my mom and, and living as close as I did to my grandparents, it was like having a second set of parents right down across the yard. That was yeah. huge too. And then I, you know, I look back and uh, I, I've told, I don't know how many people I've told this, but uh, my first grade teacher, I uh, had the same teacher in the first grade as I did the sixth grade, and this woman was a godly woman. Yeah, and. She was the first person I ever knew that became a missionary. She actually uh, uh, learned to speak Spanish and actually went on mission trips, and I saw her do that. And I think that that probably had a big, uh, you know, imp- made a big impression on me at such an early age. And then you look on down the road, and I'm doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, people, it's just like we talked about. Their behavior impacts you. You see the role model example. You see that mm-hmm. example, and that almost inspires you to be better. Yeah. I think that's in any walk of life. That could be friends, family, people in a professional level. If they're acting, uh, you know, in a good way and all that, it's going to inspire you to be better. I agree. And uh, you know, learning learning from mom. You have your mom, and they instill those, you know, right and wrong at an early age is huge. Yeah, and then. Uh, like I was talking about um, my first grade teacher, seeing her and, you know, having the, the teachers be able to do the same thing and yeah. instill that right and wrong. And then they can also, it's a lot easier to teach when you've got orderly students. Mm-hmm. I know uh, my sister is a school teacher and uh, she'll tell you how hard it is to teach disorderly students. Yeah. Well, it almost affects them, but it affects everybody else. Oh, yeah. You know, so it kind of makes the whole classroom disrupted. Yeah. You can't teach if you've got somebody disrupting the classroom and nobody learns. Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, thanks for going in on that, man. I, I think the same way. Um, you know, I'm not fully about like a woman shouldn't work at all and all that, but keep your mindset on the family unit. Right. You know, the man provides, the woman um, keeps the family unit intact and all that. I think that's really, really important. I think, you know, working as a team yes. is is the key there. Mom and dad's got to work together with one goal in mind. That's it. And there's no way out. Yeah. There's yeah. no easy way out. Like we and, mentioned before, it's there's no way to give up. You know, and, you're in it. And God's got to be part of it. That's it. That's it. He's got to be at the center. That's the only way it works. Um, so would you say, you know, a lot of people congratulate, like move away from your family you had your grandparents close and all that as a young child. You said you seem like that was really impactful to you. No, I, I I know it was. It's like being there and seeing my. We saw my grandparents all the time, and uh, 
they were imparting the same thing to me as my parents were. So they were reinforcing it all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, uh, you knew right from wrong and you got right and wrong from every one of my parents and grandparents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My dad had eight brothers and three sisters. Oh, wow. They had to have structure. Yeah. 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 My mom only, she was my, her and her only brother, but, you know, they, they, their lives in the time period we're talking about back in the 50s and 60s, they had a lot of structure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we've got away from that too much. We yeah. need that structure for kids. We do. Well, kids, like I alluded to, are moldable. You know, they need that structure. They need safety. They need to know mom and dad are there. Yeah. You know, um, they need to know mom and dad, and that's not happening. I think ADHD, um, a lot of problems i mean i think some of it is clinical i believe some of it is there's a clinical component yeah but a lot of it is attention seeking like they don't feel safe right maybe and so they have to they don't have uh, that security exactly exactly so i think a lot of things come from that um but it's uh it's why and you see the rise in adhd and all that and they say that's because we didn't diagnose it enough or all that but i think it's because the rise of it because of lack of family structure and all that uh, or there's a component to that anyway I, you know, I can think back in my elementary school years and, and there were probably a couple of kids that would have been diagnosed with ADD or ADHD, but mm. that was it. Yeah. I, you know, they're just, I don't think it existed as bad as, as it does now. And it's, it's, I mean, you see it now. You, mm. I mean, it's like, uh, I don't know. It's like it's evolved. Yeah. And it's become more prevalent. I think you're right about, you know, the the kids don't have the safety and security and uh, they're looking for that attention. Yeah. Well, if you're talking to somebody and they're not listening to you, eventually what do you have to do? You have to yell. Yeah. You got to do other things. You got to get attention in some way. If you're constantly having to yell for attention all the time, that behavior gets reinforced. Maybe that's what it is. Now, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people, researchers, and all, they would call me crazy, whatever. And you can believe what you want to believe. But I think there's definitely a component to the lack of family structure that causes a lot of these issues. It's, it's definitely got to be a component of it. It's, it's like one of those multifactorial diseases. Exactly. Exactly. But I think the culture we're in, man, keeping God at the center, that's, that's paramount for sure. Family unit and God. That's it. That's it. Dude, we got a little dark there, but we're going to turn it back a little lighter here. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up. We've been going an hour and 27 minutes. Wow. This might top the, the the longest one, but this has been awesome, man. So I'm going to end with this, end it with everybody, 5, 10, 20 years. Uh, think about your life, what it's going to be like. Five years from now, you'll be how old? Uh, five years from now, I'll be 64. 64, almost I'm, Medicare. I'm almost, <laughs> I'm almost 59. Yeah, okay. So, okay. So 64 years old, where are you gonna? Where do you see your life at? About where I'm at right now, I think I'll yeah. still be doing the same things I'm doing now. I, you know, I, it's like uh, somebody was asking me here recently, when are you going to retire? And I'm like, I guess when I can't see well enough or use my hands well enough to do what I do. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. It's like uh, I like what I do, and and I feel like I help people, mm-hmm. so I'm beneficial. So I feel like, you know, I'll keep doing that to a degree is, you know, as long as I'm able, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't see any reason to stop doing it. 
Well, I think if, if you enjoy it, you're able. What's the point in stopping? Right. Some people can't wait to retire, just like we talked about people that hate their job and all right. that. I, I don't think you need to be doing something if you can't wait to get out of it. Yeah. You know? I, and I know uh, I was in a conference here recently. Uh, it was a pharmacology uh, conference sure. that we have to do and uh, to, for the DEA. Mm-hmm. And this guy that I was sitting next to was a 76-year-old oral surgeon yeah. that works four days a week. Hey. And he's still doing it. And his mind was sharp, too. Yeah. Well, it's probably sharp because he kept going. Yeah. He hadn't quit. Right. You he's, know, because he's you still learning. That. Yeah. And you see that when people kind of slow down, they go down. You know, they right. don't stay active in something. Have something to look forward to. Like you said, something bigger than yourself. He was sharp as a tack. Yeah. Yeah, so five years going to be doing the same thing, you feel? I think so. I think I'm still doing what I'm doing now. I, you know, I like what I do. I, I like, you know, my hobbies. You know, I, I, I may not uh, be able to do some things like I do now, you know, just depending on uh, health. Mm-hmm. As long as my health stays good, I think I'll still be there, you know. And, uh, you know, I don't, you know, it's it's hard to look. 20 years down the road, it's hard to think about that. Yeah. Well, we went five, so 10 years. So you'll be 69. What do you think you'll be? What do you think you'll be doing? Uh, I think I'll probably be working a little less, playing a little more. But, you know, I don't – I like what I do. I like the things I do. I like my hobbies and stuff, I think. Sure. And, and at some point, you know, I, I would like to get more involved with uh, – some of the missions work kind of like Jeff has done. Mm-hmm. I think maybe at some point I can do some more of that. Well, there's a need for it. I'm sure. Sure. There'll be a need for that. There's that a need for it here in the United States. Yes. More now than ever in my lifetime. Yes. And I know other countries need it too, but it's, it seems like we have a greater need here than ever before. A lot of people say that, you know, I'm going to go on a mission trip. And you can, that's good, but look outside your back door. Yeah. There's somebody suffering next door to you. Right. You know, if you're in an apartment complex, everybody in that complex is dealing with something, you know, that that's you true. just go knock on the door, talk to somebody, yeah. you know, help somebody. Um, but again, like you said, we've gotten away from that personal thing, you know, Netflix, man, got to see all the shows mm-hmm. and all that. It's just, and those are tools for good, but I think you gotta, gotta have good relationships with people for sure. But that mission thing would be great, man. That'd be great. Yeah. I, I, and I think, uh, you know, I, I may not travel and go do foreign missions like I did before. I, I feel more led to do them. Uh, I got involved and helped with a, uh, an organization here in Northeast Alabama that I really enjoyed. And I think it's something necessary. And I, it's something that has kind of got lost with the different things with COVID over the last few years. Mm-hmm. And that's something that it, it's, it's got to get uh, ramped back up to help these people that are kind of falling through the cracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think it's very common now, especially medical. If you're medical and you want to volunteer, Hey, go wherever, cause there's a need everywhere. So, I mean, everywhere there, there, you know, there's like you say, there's people right next door that need something. It's all around us. It is. And there's uh, just way too many people out there that, don't even know about God and Jesus too. It's like yeah. it, it amazes me that we have people that live here where I grew up that don't know who God is. Even you know, um, verbally abstain and you know defy just 
completely. You right. know, it's it's a different time, man. I mean, I mean, thinking back to the nineties, uh, it's it's changed a lot. It has for sure. Yeah, it's like we've turned our back on God, and, and uh, you know, He's still there. Yeah. All we got to do is look. Yeah, and call. You yeah. know, and I think that's. Man, it's a scary thing for sure. Hey, I think he's still got his hand on us now, but it's it's not looking right for sure. Yeah, it's disturbing that some of the things we see nowadays. Yeah. You can tell uh, the absence of God has definitely hurt our society. Satan's at work. I remember uh, in high school, we uh, we had meeting, a meet at the flag and all that. We'd mm-hmm. pray and had Christian meetings, but now it's like they get the, it was, it was when I was in high school, get the Bible out of school, mm-hmm. you know, and all that separation of church and state and all right. that. I get all that. I do. But they're an individual. Like if one person wants to do it, why not let them practice that and all that? I never understood why get Christianity out. Yeah. Well, there's not a call to get all the other stuff out. Exactly. You know, why not just allow people to practice the way they like to, we're not hurting anyone. I never understood that. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, you have, different people that believe different ways but uh it seems like the the christian beliefs are the one that's been singled out and tried to just do away with it completely well i think biblically we're told that's that's how it's going to be we're going to suffer trials because of our faith you know and all that i think it's just part of it um we know we have a hope in him that's all we can look for and all that that's right yeah that's that's that you know there's two words love and hope that's it yeah, got to have those two. Yeah, it's necessary. Yeah. 20 years, be 79. Where are you going to be, dude? Oh, me, I don't know. I, I, I've i never thought about even living that long. Yeah, you're going to make it, man. But uh, <laughs> hopefully I'll still be doing the things I love to do. Mm-hmm. That's what I hope to do. Yeah. Well, from a medical standpoint, you know this, stay active. Yeah. When you start sitting, that's when you start declining, man. I agree with that. Oh, you just got to stay active and keep moving. That's it. Object in motion stays in motion. Physics. You went to physics. Yeah. Physics. So that's pretty cool. Sir well, Isaac Newton. That's it. Sir Isaac Newton. Man, this has been amazing. Uh, I had some good expectations, honestly, but it's it's blown me away, dude. There's a lot of content. I think we're going to help a lot of people with this, man. I hope so. I, you know, I enjoyed it. Yeah. And, uh, I just hope somebody else enjoys it too. Yeah, they will. They will. Uh, any closing comments? Anything you want to say? Uh, it's something that, well, it's something I never really thought about. Uh, I did a, a just a little devotion with a group of men here not too long ago, and something I went back to is something from the Boy Scouts uh-huh. that, that I learned probably when I was six or seven years old. And it's something that you hear from the, you know, the Boy Scout motto, be prepared. Always be prepared, you know, have your heart prepared, prepared, your, stay prepared in uh, your daily life so you're not uh, surprised by anything. Yeah. I don't think you're ever going to regret being prepared for anything. I agree. Never going to regret that motion. That's a good way to end it, man. Well, that's pretty much it, guys. Thank you so much for watching the podcast, The Better Man with Dr. Jared Nelson. We are on the YouTube space. Like, comment, subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're on there. Hit the notification bell. You're going to get all my videos sent directly to you. We are on every audio podcast platform. Amazon Music, Apple Music, Spotify. We're on every single one of them. 
Give us a five-star rating because we give five-star service. Thanks for watching. Until the next one, peace. I can't Have a good night.